This is my comeback story. This is my comeback story. This is Trey Lewis with Good Landing Recovery, and you're listening to The Comeback. I am here with my friend Jennifer. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Trey? Good, good. So good to be here with you. Excited to have you as part of the team, to see your life being transformed now on the other side of this with joy, with confidence, just, you know, and I'm even thinking back right now, real time, just about some of our journey yes, and how we almost did not end up in this place right here. (laughs) No, we didn't. A few times we almost didn't end up in this place. So, but I'm, I'm truly blessed and thankful that I am here and I'm here today. And I'm, I'm glad that uh, I'm a part of Good Landing and part of the staff and part of the journey with everyone. So I'm learning a lot. The feeling is mutual. We are equally as blessed and privileged to have you. And, and you know, and even now when I think about it, um, just so our, our listeners know exactly some context of you coming through Good Landing um, and, and early on, you, you had the option to be able to leave. Your family was actually signing off on you being able to go ahead and and exit the the process, um, but somewhere in that, you turned back into it. I did. Um, literally, I, I it was a Friday, and I talked to you, and I was going to stay, <laughs> and then I talked to my mom, and I was going to leave, um, and then I was prepared to leave that Friday evening, and then Saturday morning, I literally woke up and something told me that I needed to stay, that I would I would not do well if I went back. And um, I now know that that was God speaking to me and telling me that I needed to stay and I needed to do the 90 days or at least do 30 days, at least do longer, but I wasn't ready. I even had my bed unmade and everything and then just something stopped me and I, wow. I called Danielle and I'm like, I'm not going. And she was jumping up and down on the bed. (laughs) I bet. I bet. Oh, my gosh. That is so cool. And I mean, just just being able to hear some of the behind the scenes and and how that processed out. And um, but we're here now. Yes. And you're killing it. Absolutely. And you've got a remarkable story. (laughs) Yes. um, So I came in kind of on the other side of addiction growing up. So. I'm, I was the baby of two older sisters, so one was 12 years older, one was nine years older. Um, my middle sister um, was addicted from an early age, about the age of 14 is when she started battling her addiction. Um, my dad was also an alcoholic, um, so I was the baby growing up not knowing um, that was normal to me watching their addiction, watching them go through what they did, watching my sister kind of go in and out, watching my mom deal with her. So I was used to it. It was a normal to me. I just knew that I never, when I got older, I knew that I didn't want to do the same thing as my middle sister, but I looked up to her too in the same regards. So she was my idol, but then I battled not wanting to be anything like her. Um, So I did, uh, I just loved her, Uh, you know, regardless. I loved her unconditionally. So I didn't, I didn't know the depth. She did keep a lot of her addiction from me, her and my mom both, just to protect me. So I was, I was more shielded and in that bubble because they wanted to protect me from it. 
so I didn't know I didn't know the depths um, of her addiction um, until she passed away three years ago um, from an overdose. So that's when I started finding out more of what she battled with, um, more of her bipolar disease. She was bipolar. She was schizoaffective. Um, more of her life growing up. Um, and then more seeing it through my mom's eyes too, um, which is here. That's what it's, it's helped me do is have so much more respect for my mom and understanding and empathy for my mom, what she went through with my sister. Um, I, we played ball together. My dad coached. I mean, it was kind of, it was a, a normal family. You know, we were a very loving family growing up, um, but I remember uh, my mom waiting up and having to go to bars to drag my sister home. Um, my mom uh, getting calls to come get her, her being in and out of jail. Um, she she would come and stay a while and then leave. And she was like my best friend, you know. She was my guardian always, you know, because she never wanted me to live that lifestyle. So while she was there, she was great in my eyes. You know, I grew up and she was so loving, so kind-hearted. Like, I didn't see the addiction at all. I just saw my sister, you know, my oldest sister. And um, so then when I got a little older to kind of more understand, um, when I, when I would hang out, like she came to my graduation, um, she would disappoint me, but I would still love her. She came to my graduation, she was high, she was drunk, and I felt obligated to drive her back to her apartment. Um, it was my graduation night, but no, I, won't. I was the oldest sister, you know, looking out for her. And um, so then we went to a bar, of course, she took me in, I was, 18 so but she wound up, wound up getting in a fight and getting taken away and I went to her apartment and then um, she came back and then I went back home and keeping it from my mom just you know little secrets she was actually the one that introduced me to marijuana I never I never did anything else but that but she was the first one that I, I smoked marijuana with um, but again I loved her regardless, no matter what. I didn't know what she was struggling with. She um, tried to describe her bipolar as normal to her. She kept going on and off of meds, and that's what a lot of people with bipolar, they go on and off, and then they self-medicate. Um, my mom didn't know she was bipolar. Back then, they didn't you know, diagnose her. So by the time she realized she was, she was already an adult. So she struggled with coming on and off of the medication. Um, but she said every time she took medication, it made her feel unnormal because she was so used to the world she was living in, in her, in her mind. So, but that's the way she would explain it to me. So I never really understood. Um, so then I got, I married, um, I moved out of the house at 18. And I, I did it. Looking back, I did it to get out of the house. I did it because my mom was very overly protecting of me because of my middle sister. So I, she was really strict on me. Um, so I wasn't allowed to do anything. But 
she kept me focused on, I played softball, I clogged, I danced, I had piano lessons, guitar lessons, um, just any and everything. But she did that to keep me out of trouble, you know, to keep me focused on other things, um, which was a good thing. But then I got into high school and, you know, noticed boys and kind of steered away from that. And then I wanted to jump right out. And uh, so I was married for uh, 18 years. And during that marriage, I adopted a little girl. She was three at the time. So I went straight into motherhood, went straight into being a wife, um, still not knowing who I was, but I just wanted to get out. Um, I wanted to live my own life. And then, so growing up, uh, or while I was married, I ate and ate because I was unhappy. Um, and I was addicted to food. I didn't realize that back then, but you can be addicted to any and everything. Yeah. Um, so I was comforting myself with food and with struggling on how to be a mom because I didn't, didn't know how and struggling to be a wife. And so I, I would eat any, anything just to comfort me. Um, never talked about it. So I gained probably about 80 to 100 pounds during the marriage. Um, and I struggle with self-worth, self-identity. Um, I kind of wrapped my self-identity in my family. You know, I kind of wrapped myself into their world. So um, I, looking back, I would have went to, I would have went to SCAD, I love SCAD, um, and done my, my arts, but God put me in a place for a reason, like everything happens for a reason, so I was there to be her mother at the time, there to, to be a wife, and during that struggle, my sister um, missed Christmas, and we knew that wasn't normal. Um, I kept trying to reach out to her, trying to reach out to her, and um, she didn't answer the phone. So at that time, she lived in Dalton. And so we drove to Dalton, me and my mom did, and drove to Dalton, and we finally got her to come to the door. And that was the first time I had ever saw her so messed up that she didn't know who we were. Um, she was laying in the bed with pills all around her. Um, she had holes in the bottom of her feet and she had a hole in the bottom of her back. Um, so we had to take her to the hospital and come to find out she was trying to get wire to sell it for drugs and electrocuted her. So I, me and my mom both wound up having to care for her. Um, she, she was at my house for a little while because her wounds needed to be tended to. Um, and then my mom took over taking care of her. Um, but even that didn't stop her from going right back out as soon as she was well. Um, that didn't stop her from med-seeking while she was like that. Um, and then uh, she wound up going right back out, um, going to jail a few more times. And then um, one day we get a call that she was burned really bad on, the, uh, on her arm. And she was so intoxicated that she turned the oil lamp over on her arm. 
So she had to go to the hospital and I had to watch them. Watching a skin graft is just, it's excruciating. I, I can't imagine the pain that she was going through. Um, so then she got right back out of the hospital, um, went right back to, I don't really know where she went to, but she would disappear for a few months. And fast forward, you know, her being in and out of mine and my husband's house, my mom's house. And um, so during that time, though, I started working for Gold's Gym, you know. So I, I needed an outlet. I never had an outlet. Um, and being that heavy, um, it, was, it was not good for my health. Um, so I had to start focusing on myself and not getting wrapped up in everybody else's chaos. And I started a workout plan, eating regimen, and lost 180 pounds on my own doing that. Um, and that was my new obsession, you know, yeah. fitness. Did you do that through the gym? I did. Wow. Yes, I did that through the gym. So you went on aerobics. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you yeah. went on staff there. I did. Mm -hmm. And then while you were on staff, you started working out. No, I was. On, I worked out first. Then, yes. Okay. Then, then, came then became. On okay. I see. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. So, I. It inspired me seeing what they did, seeing what the trainers did, seeing the results. And so then I wanted to start inspiring other people. Wow. Um, that's just always kind of been my thing. That's what I like is to be inspired. So yeah. I like to give back that inspiration. Um, you guys had asked like what a leader was and it was crazy because the first person that came to my mind for some reason was Maya Angelou. I just liked it, just the inspirational type, mm -hmm. you know, things. But, um, so that led me to doing personal training that led me to um, teaching water aerobics, teaching silver sneakers, teaching all the classes at the gym. Um, but it also led to my next addiction, which was restricting myself from food, mm -hmm. um, which eventually, um, well, it, it led to me being on the Oprah Winfrey show um, in 2008, because of my, my weight loss, yeah. um, I was submitted to uh, People Magazine, Half My, Half My Size Edition, and she chose me and to, to go on her show 2008, so that was... So you went to People Magazine uh -huh. first, yes. and then they submitted you to Oprah, mm -hmm. and you were, on, you were actually on the show? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, sir. Yes, so it was a whirlwind, Chicago in February. It was cold. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> no joke cold. up there in February. No, it's not. Wow. Um, they do call it the Windy City for a reason. Yeah. But it was it was such a whirlwind that I just, I really, I remember bits and pieces of it, but I was so focused on how much if I would gain, you know, two, three pounds, oh, um, yeah. what would I look like? You know, are they going to notice if I gain weight? Like I had to, I had to maintain it like back then 118. And if I ever got over a pound or two on the scale, I mean, I would just, I would go nuts, you know, and just fret wow. about it. So, um, so meanwhile, secretly, like I've done all my life, I was secretly, dealing with my own addictions. Yeah. Um, I had my own addictions looking back now, you know, um, but I dealt, uh, so they, they did that Q100, um, had me on their radio station that same day, um, that I went on the Oprah show. Wow. And then, um, Sanjay Gupta, I did a bit with him, um, on his radio show. So all that was a whirlwind. Meanwhile, 
I'm trying to figure out who I am after the weight loss um, because I still didn't recognize myself. Um, so I became, I had a body dysmorphia. Um, so I never, it took me a long time to see myself still not big, you know, wow. so I would go straight in or look in the mirror or, um, and started, uh, bulim <coughs> I, I was bulimic for about a year again, not telling anybody. Um, did you get traded for that? I did not. I taught, no, I didn't. I handled that. On your own, um, yeah. You beat um, it, yeah. I yeah, did. yeah. That's impressive. I, I mean, did. that is one of the deadliest <laughs> mental illness is mm -hmm. that's that's out there. Yes, so. absolutely. And that's why I love relating to these girls here because they have so many stories. If you get to know them, they have mm -hmm. so many stories, and they don't know that you struggle with the same thing that they well, struggle with until you start talking to them. Yes. Until you start communicating with them and getting to know the clients. So that's what I love here is just getting to know them and then they look back and they're like, oh, wow, you went through the same thing because they didn't know. Yeah. Um, so I can relate. I can relate to the girls that come in and don't have the best, you know, body image. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I'm not a fan of scales. Like, I don't agree with scales at all, period. Um, I get onto the, I don't get onto the girls, but I'm like, why are you basing your worth on a scale? Mm -hmm. You shouldn't do that. Yeah. You're beautiful. I mean, God made you in his image. You're beautiful the way you are. Yeah. You know, and that's so what good. I had to learn to accept that it, I'm beautiful on the inside. It doesn't matter what the outside, it all comes from the inside. Yeah. Um, and dealing with people with addiction too, um, that's what, you know, they tend to do is they don't see that beauty. They don't see their worth. Um, yeah. And then it spirals from there. But yes, I beat the bulimia on my own. Um, then I had to have back surgery, 2010. So back surgery was the first major surgery that I'd ever had. So of course, when you go into having any surgery, they put you on pain meds, they put you on morphine, um, the, and then the pain meds coming off. Um, so I started teaching right away after I had the, the back surgery. So I battled a little bit after that with um, opiate addiction or just kind of being dependent on that to kind of get through. Um, but that's only a Band-Aid. You only mask it. It's You feel 10 times better off of it than you do on it. Um, so I had to come to realize that and took myself off of that. Um, so, and then continued teaching. And in 2018, I wound up um, finding out that I had to have open heart surgery. So it was all of a sudden um, through teaching, I wasn't, I wasn't feeling good. I was tired all the time. So I went to the doctor. I went to an endocrinologist because I've always had thyroid issues. So I thought it was my thyroid. And the doctor took my hand and said, you need to make a cardiologist appointment. And I'm like, I've never seen a cardiologist. What are you talking about? She looked at me because you can't say, she couldn't say anything to me, but she said, you need to make an appointment. So I had an appointment the next week. I had um, an aneurysm. So I had a valve leaking straight into another valve. So it was causing my heart to enlarge. So they had to replace my valve with a mesh valve. Um, so that again was a whirlwind. I was managing a nutrition store at the time 
and just hired an assistant manager. So I had to quickly train her. They wanted to get me right in, but I said I need at least two weeks because um, I just had to have my ducks in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, so I trained her, went in, had my uh, open heart surgery. The morning of my open heart surgery, um, I had not talked to my sister in a few weeks because every time I talked to her, she was intoxicated, high, not making any sense. So I kind of was disconnecting from her. And she called me that morning, and she was more worried and upset than I was. I was having to reassure her everything was going to be okay. And um, so then... I came out of the surgery. I didn't talk to her all throughout my recovery um, because I needed to focus on getting better. And then uh, six months later, in March, I had my surgery in October. And then in March, two weeks before her 50th birthday, that's when she overdosed. And so I dealt with the guilt and the shame of not hearing her voice. I didn't save any uh, like voice messages that she left me. Um, I have pictures, a lot of pictures of us, but I dealt with not hearing her voice anymore. Or if I could help her, how could I have helped her? How could I have made things different? Um, should I have communicated with her more? Um, so that spiraled me into doing what I had always watched my dad do, which is drink your emotions, drink your feelings away. Um, So instead of talking about what I was going through, I was drinking. And then um, I had a DUI and then had to go home and live with my parents for the first time, you know, in my 40s. I had never been back with my parents. And... um, so then dealing with that and dealing with having to live back with them, seeing what my mom was going through, still dealing with my sister's death. Now I'm drinking. She can see me drinking and spiraling and going down. I just kept dealing with the shame and the guilt and pushing it through. Um, and then I wound up totaling my SUV, flipping it, um, being intoxicated drive I just I didn't care anymore I didn't at that point I just I didn't care I didn't want to live with the demons I didn't want to live with the guilt or the shame um and then so about two weeks before I came here um a friend of mine we were outside of the bar great I'd never done any hard drugs stayed away from it and he said, here, try this, and it'll make you um, hyper. It'll make you, you know, feel better. And it was, um, he said it was crank, so it was like in a little valve that you snort. Mm -hmm. So um, that, yes, it got me hyper. It got me, you know, feeling good. Um, Then I wound up, for the first time ever, um, about a week later, um, buying meth from him, buying drugs mm-hmm. from him. What I thought was crank, but then to find out, like, I'm, I didn't know the ins and outs and the sure. crystal and it's meth, and I just knew it was, like, $75 in a bag. That was it. Um, so I hid it uh, in a drawer um, next to my nightstand. So I was doing it, hiding it. Um, 
and then it was all gone. Um, so I said, okay, you're not going to do it anymore. And meanwhile, I'd, I substituted the drinking again for mm-hmm. that. I didn't drink as much when I was doing that, but then I went right back to drinking more when that was gone. And um, so I went two weeks. I was good. Didn't, didn't have any cravings or any of that. But then I opened my drawer, and underneath the pitcher, the um, residue had fallen out in the cracks. Mm-hmm. And I saw the little crystals. And I, I dabbed, I got my finger wet, and I dabbed it and then put it under my tongue. You know, it just called out to me. Like, I had no willpower. To, yeah. Like, it just took a hold of me. I mm-hmm. saw um, I saw the sparkle in the crystals. Uh, um and it just, I don't know why I couldn't resist from doing that. I, and so then I did, but then I, I came clean with my mom, told her everything um, because I woke up the next morning and something told me that you just need to, you need to give it all. You need to go get help um, because this is going to spiral. You don't know what you're messing with. And I could hear my sister's My sister's voice all those years telling me you're not, you're not street smart, Jennifer. You're not meant for this world. Uh, you know, you're not, you're not meant to be in that place. Don't be like me. Don't do what I did, because um, you won't survive it. And I, I just heard her voice. I heard God speaking to me, telling me that you need to get help, get a hold on it. And I went to um, my mom the next day. Took me to Willowbrook. It was a um, place there locally in Villarica. So I asked them for recommendations for help. And then that's when I got in touch with you guys. They gave me a list. And I think actually y'all are the first first one that I called. And I got in touch with Rush. And then they connected me and called me and said, we can take you to detox for 14 days and we can come pick you up. And I'm like, come pick me up. What, what are you talking about? Come pick me up. (laughs) And then I'm like, okay, okay, I'll do it. And then I got uh, my bags packed and, and came, I knew nothing about what I was walking into. So I went into the detox and that actually was great. It did, you know, it, it gave me time to focus and disconnect, disconnect from the world, disconnect from Facebook disconnect and just solely focus on me and start writing down, start journaling. And then when I got here, it was a whole different ball game. I had never, I had never, you know, lived with six other women. (laughs) Um, I never, yeah, I didn't go to college dormitory. And so it's like, it was very scary. I remember probably crying through the whole, um, Intake process with <laughs> Danielle. <laughs> oh man! But <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> but yes, they they took me in, and Nicole just you know wrapped me up and took me under her wing, oh. and yeah, and I was very fortunate, very very blessed, and I didn't I didn't want to go back. You know, didn't yeah. want to go backwards. I wanted to go forwards, and I felt something pulling on me to help and share my story and kind of talk to all the girls, getting to know them better, getting to know their life better. And mm-hmm. I mean, 
it's opened my eyes to all the ins and outs and what they go through and it's made me grateful and thankful for being here and and being me and actually you know having the family that I that I have you know because some of the girls don't they're not that that fortunate and I am fortunate um so yes yeah <laughs> that's incredible I love it I mean just to think about where you were and like we mentioned on the front end of how close that you were to leaving. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just something that I see a real, you know, common theme throughout all Mm -hmm. of your struggles, you know, that Mm -hmm. you have been, you know, really sensitive to God's voice. And when you feel like, hey, this is about to take me down a road that's likely not going to end well. And you finished it. I mean, I just remember Mm -hmm. you sharing on the night of your graduation and how well that you Mm -hmm. presented the leadership that's on your life. And just how God's highlighted you, you know, even in the brokenness. To what? Where, where are you from again? Uh, Douglasville. Yeah, yes. Douglasville. From Douglasville to People Magazine to Oprah, <laughs> you know, and just different ways that I just, you know, I just feel like that, you know, He's just highlighted you and and used you in just such neat ways. And um, and then now, you know, I kind of look at where, you know, like you said, you didn't even really get a, a college experience. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and here you are with a million different things that you could be doing with a very, very marketable skill set. And just to give a season of your life to say, man, I want to get to know these women, love on them, help them. I um, absolutely, I'll give as many seasons as I can, as God wants me to. So, it's incredible. Yeah. I'm here to learn. I'm here to grow. I'm still growing. I mean, yeah. you know, we all have growing to do. And they teach me so much. They're teaching me a lot, too. So it's it's definitely a blessing. Yeah. Yes. And I've refound my faith, you know, in God. I always, ha- I always knew God existed. My mom never shied away from God, you know. Um, so, but after my sister passed, I just lost that faith. Um, but here... At Good Landing, it's actually it's helped renew my faith 100%. Awesome. So, and one of the best Christian-based, so this is the only Christian-based, you know, recovery center that I knew of. So it's you definitely need to bring that into, into the whole recovery aspect. Amen. <laughs> I've been trying to tell them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That yeah. Is, definitely key and i see that i see that light go on there's nothing more rewarding than somebody coming from brokenness and then all of a sudden you see their light come on and you see them start shining more and shining more and you just want to continue to help them to shine even more and come out of it you know i i didn't realize it would take at least 90 days (laughs) i was wanting to leave in two weeks but there's no way yeah I mean, that 90 days, I mean, you're really just scratching the surface, you know, when you think about it. Well, it has been a privilege. Thank you for making this investment into my life and all of our listeners' lives. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. I appreciate everything you've done and Good Landing has done. So it's definitely been a godsend and a blessing. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for everything. Guys, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to serve you. If you or someone in your family is struggling with addiction, please give us a call. It's 770-570-7422.